Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner, and I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats and dogs. That's what this show is all about, combing the world to find authors and experts to talk about cats and dogs and sometimes other creatures who share our world. I've been having these conversations for an hour every week on Long Island's only NPR station, 88.3 WLIW-FM, which is where I originated this show and have not missed a week for 14 years. There's a podcast library with all 750-plus shows at RadioPetLady.com, along with my other pet talk shows, including Cat Chat and Good Dogs, The Training Show. Feel free to write me at radiopetlady at gmail.com with questions or suggestions. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. This show is made possible in part with the support of Waruva, a family-owned pet food company that makes high-protein foods for cats and dogs. And the show is also brought to you by Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, a privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie a feline-only veterinarian. My guests today are Stacy Weingarten, the creative force behind a wonderful new musical fairy tale called Rescue Rue, off-off-Broadway for children. Then Kristen McKenna will be here with her delightful novel, The Twelve Days of Snowball. And Molly Kelsey will join us from New Zealand, where she's made a big business during a total lockdown as the cat counselor. So this is a first for this show. I have never had a musical comedy creator whose entire musical comedy is based around a rescue dog. How perfect is that? The wonderful ladies at Evermore Pet Food in New York and in California, who are sponsors of the show, wrote to me and said, our dog came from the same place as the inspiration for Rescue Rue, a musical fairy tale. Would you like to talk to the creator. So why would I not say yes? This is so exciting. Stacy Weingarten, congratulations on getting this show off Off-Broadway and on being a champion for rescuing dogs, even to little kids in a musical. What a great idea you had. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk about rescue and dogs. And obviously, I am a lovely, crazy dog lady who loves my dog. So it's always a pleasure. Thank well, you. That, that, that must be the truth. What is the name of the rescue that, that your pooch came from? She came from the Badass Animal Rescue. At oh. the time, it was the Badass Brooklyn Animal Rescue. Yes. But yes it, mm-hmm. I remember Badass Brooklyn. They were all, all pit bulls, mostly pit bulls. It was out of a storefront. No, actually, um, their their specialty is actually saving uh, animals in the south and bringing them north to forever homes oh, from high kill nice. shelters. Nice. Yeah, so they're a volunteer organization. They actually don't have uh, any sort of storefront or location. It's in, it's just a volunteer network of people. So I when I found Rue, it was a through like a you know online. I went on Pet Finder and found her there and went to a an event at a shop. I'll be dark. Yeah, I knew there was a shop. I I interviewed him, Mr. Badass Brooklyn, that's now Badass Rescue, years ago. So he doesn't even know he was a huge inspiration to a creative force, which is you. This puppet well, and live musical. I, sorry, go ahead. Not, sorry, not to correct you, but um, actually, it's the rescue was founded uh, mostly by women. So I think really, that it must be it must be some yeah. other one. Although badass Brooklyn, it doesn't seem like a name a lot of people would use. I'm confusing it with somebody yeah. else, but it's still obviously very good works being done on behalf of dogs. Yeah. Of course. So you have already won an Emmy, but I mean, and I want to know how you won the Emmy. But you wrote, directed, produced and are the puppet artists for this show. And it's I got to see a little clip of it. It's wonderful. They're, they're not, people aren't dressed up like in Lion King, but they all are representing an animal with a very large puppet on their hands, but you can still see the human. Where did you come up with that mm-hmm. idea? Because I think for children in an audience, that makes it wonderful because the puppeteer is not at all hidden or even covered by a costume, but is part of the puppet. That's a very cool idea. Yes. 
Yeah, I kind of was um, for that. Well, first I'm going to say I'm not an island. I did have collaborators I worked with. There's a wonderful puppet designer named Annie Hayward who built the puppets for me in tandem with we worked together on what the designs would be. And I have collaborators who write music because I don't write music music. Um, but anyway, um, we basically the idea for the how the show would be presented is I'm I've been a puppeteer for over a decade. Oh, uh, and I see. For me, it, yeah, so it was always kind of heartbreaking to me when you see shows where the puppeteers, you, sometimes people put puppeteers in black clothing and go, okay, yes. they're, they're gone. They're yes. But they, they are, especially if you're on a set that's not a black box, you can see them. So I took the cue more from what Avenue Q did, sort of, and asked the costume designer I was working with to uh, put the people that were puppeteering in costumes that kind of were like the soul of the dog or cat that they were performing. Yes. So not too distracting in terms of colors. Like I still want the puppet is the character, but I don't want to ignore the fact that we, we can totally see the people on stage. And it's nice to be able to see faces. They give us a little bit of extra in Absolutely. terms of the emotions that are happening. Absolutely. Yeah. And I grew up in, in Italy where there were puppet shows in parks the old-fashioned mm-hmm. thing you've sort of sometimes once in a while seen an old movie set in Paris in the Tuileries Gardens or something, where it'd be a, a pop-up stage. It would be a little stage with yeah. a with a pull pull aside curtains. You know, you're a puppeteer. I didn't realize that was your background. Mm-hmm. And there would just be puppets, yeah. and just people's hands were moving them, and there were n- you never saw the people, and it was completely disembodied. So things have changed yeah. a lot. The idea of, as you said, these other kinds of ways of bringing the whole human on the stage. But what's great about this, it is very much aimed at children. And you have a very short run. Mm-hmm. It's only from December 12th until January 16th. So mm-hmm. this is what I really loved. It also said this is a way to introduce very young children to musical theater, ages four yeah. and up. And in watching it, and it's absolutely charming. It's not one of those things where the parents will groan and go, oh, do I have to sit through this? It's so <laughs> lively and visually stimulating because all the characters are a dog and they're singing about this dog who needs a home and being rescued, which is a wonderful message for kids to be getting. But the the feeling mm-hmm. that there are humans dancing and singing and manipulating puppets at the same time is a wonderful immersive experience for young, young children. Otherwise, you go to a a musical and if you could afford it, I mean, your prices are so fair. Mm -hmm. I'll have a a link to the podcast where people can buy tickets, but it's very gentle prices. I I don't know how people can afford $250 to take a child to regular Broadway musicals. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, it's people in costumes singing and dancing. It's really not immersive the way this is, of really feeling like each of the people is one of those dogs. Was was this going to children the really important part of it for you? Reaching to children? Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, the other part of like one of the things that I, I do when I, when I work, um, I also work very often with companies like Sesame Street. Uh, and oh, nice. uh, I, I, yeah, that's where, that's where the Emmy came from. I oh, was on congratulations. Team, um, that one for that. Thank you. That's so cool. So, can you tell um, us, can you describe yeah. that, that Sesame Street episode? Obviously the, the brilliant, famous, world famous <laughs> puppets of Sesame Street from Miss Piggy to all of them. Um, but what, what did you do that you got an Emmy? So um, I'm a puppet wrangler by trade is what I usually tell people, which then people go, what does that mean? That's, that's very <laughs> weird sounding. Um, so <laughs> the way I explain it usually is that um, I'm kind of like a catch-all for a lot of things on set. I help make sure the puppets are ready to be on film, but that usually means everything from checking hair, checking costumes, putting on costumes, taking off costumes, fixing things adding props, making sure they're rigged so that if you imagine a puppet like Elmo, let's say, right. most of the time Elmo can't pick up something, can't pick up a prop without right. it being something that is put in his hand. So I'm the one who helps do that. So I was on a team <laughs> of people that one for that and then also for the actual building and designing of the costumes as well. We're all, we're all together in one big team and the team won during the pandemic. It was a very, it was a very delightful surprise. I, I did not expect it at all. So that's what that, yeah, that's Isn't what that, that something to get an Emmy during the pandemic? Gosh, that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. Do they have an ongoing dog on Sesame Street? So they actually, they 
have not, they don't, they do have some dog characters who have come and go, gone. Um, I know recently they did introduce a character called Tango for Elmo that is a rescue that he finds. Oh, um, nice. But yeah, that is, a, that is a new development for, for Sesame actually within like the last uh, year, I believe. Um, so they, there have been other dogs that have come and gone, but now Elmo does have a dog named Tango. I'll be darned. Well, yeah, they're kind of late to that party because what do kids love more than dogs? What do they relate to more than dogs? And the idea that a dog didn't have a home and didn't have a family Mm -hmm. is obviously the the driving force behind Rescue Roo, your show. And I I think it's got to be so easy for kids to relate to because, I mean, even if kids aren't in any way homeless, and I guess that they would probably not be lucky enough to get to see a musical. They certainly have had divorce and separation, so they know what it's like to not have the original home that you started in. I imagine that they yes. can relate to that. Do you, did you think about that when writing it? Absolutely. I mean, this show kind of has two educational components for, for me. Because again, like I work, that's the world I work in, so I'm thinking about that as well. Right, while I'm like doing right. things like this. So there, there is the like obviously the rescue component and the actual like go rescue animals. This is what you do. This is why we do it. But then the other component, which actually is the thing that makes the show, I think, more enjoyable to watch, kind of comes out of the more Disney Pixar tradition, where there's a bigger theme that is being explored, which has to do with belonging and kind of finding yes. where you belong in the world. Yes. And that's that's the thing that like I know when I was growing up, all of the stuff that I kind of gravitated towards was more of those things where it's like how do you figure out who you are where you belong what your purpose is and that still is true for me as an adult which is why like a show like this is I'm I'm a Disney person like I I just (laughs) it's part of who I am so for me a show that explores that in addition to rescue is kind of like this show is very much like who is Stacey's an artist? Well, there's puppets, there's musical, there's dogs, there's a message about finding where you belong. It's like, it's very me in many ways. Isn't well. that lovely? And then you could make it a universal question or questing. There was a, a lovely thing that came mm-hmm. with some of the notes that were sent my way, which is that it's not a musical about happy endings. It's about a happy beginning. The idea that you can mm-hmm. begin something yeah. new for a child that could be beginning a new school or a new a new after school mm-hmm. activity or maybe your parents remarry and that's a new beginning the idea that beginnings are a good thing it's not just the happy ending that that was obviously mm-hmm. a, a disney like idea you had but obviously your own not necessarily an idea that's been well, in a disney idea yeah, the actual inspiration for that, coincidentally, when, we were, when the musical was first being written, that's one of the things that's been in, in since almost the very beginning, uh, drafts of this. And it actually came from me going, okay, we're getting to the end of the show. What are we trying to say? And I was looking through the Badass Animal Rescue's uh, Facebook page, and I looked at an album, and it was Happy New Beginnings. And I went, nice. Ah. Nice. Because that's that's what life, I mean, honestly, like that is what life's about. Life isn't about just getting to the ending and going, okay, we're done. That's right. It's about we've gotten to this next point. Now what's next? And that's what this show basically is. I mean, that's, there's, there's also a sequel that's in the work. Good it's for like that you. Kind of show where like. Good for yeah, you. So it's, that's what life is. You know, a new a beginning, and now you have an, an idea yeah. for a new show. So how do you get the mm-hmm. money together, to be vulgar, it, with a question that you mm-hmm. wouldn't ask at a dinner party? How do you get the money together? Because I thought, okay, this is going to be very kind of like high schooly. I thought, off-off-Broadway, DR2. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a nice space. I hadn't heard of it. Off-off-Broadway is such a, mm-hmm. a rich place, a, a rich many places in New York City. But it's but the yeah, costumes are really fancy and the puppets are fabulous. I mean, it's very polished and professional and looks like Broadway to me. Thank you. I mean, in the best sense, I mean, it looks like Broadway. Without you know, it, it's very it's marvelous looking. So, what does that cost, and how you. do you get the money together? <laughs> I mean, for a lot of this, it is a labor of love coming from myself and my family, friends, and stuff like that. But. I think the real catch is what you're kind of asking about. It has to do with kind of the team that you bring together. So it's, we have a team of professionals who really care. So at the end of the day, uh, I mean, I, again, I also come from the, I, I study theater in college. So like I co- come from that tradition as well, where it's very much, you know, making Jeannie in the barn, we're going to make a show. And yes, yes. that's kind of what this is in some ways. The difference though is that 
there's a way of doing that where you do have the right people together. Everybody's resourceful. Everybody, like, again, like with the puppet, I'm working with a designer who is a friend who I've worked with for, you know, a decade as well. And I, we have a shorthand, we have the ability to go, okay, what kind of furs do you actually have in your stock that you maybe <laughs> want to get rid of? Maybe it works. Like there are ways to like, there are ways what to kind of, of like furs? figure out what you have. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, yeah. I live in a world where it's like, okay, what material do it's you so have? so great. You live in because a world where people have yeah. stockpiles of fur and there might be some yeah. they don't really need anymore. Wow. It really is mm-hmm. a magical world. The theater world is magic. Yeah. I mean, it's about making magic. Is your dream mm-hmm. to go from off off broadway to off broadway to broadway is is that the ultimate dream so for this show i mean i I, yeah would i love as a writer to have a show on broadway someday of course that would be great is rescue a broadway show no (laughs) it's not i see because there's also different shows belong in different spaces and doing different things and honestly with rescue Roo, my ultimate goal besides having our run that's in you know a nice professional run that's in new york city which can kind of help kids and families figure out adoption and like I said, finding where yes. you belong and all yes. that is um, doing a tour. So we can actually oh, go wonderful. to places around the United States and also around the world. That where is we so can bring great. the same message to kids and families all over the place. So like it's, that's it's, for me. Yeah, the, that's nice. The, yeah, that's that's great. So it's sort of like Philolibus in a way. I mean, it's a core group of people working together, but you're portable. You don't need an entire yeah train full of cars to to schlep all of your sets and all yeah. of your costumes everyone's exactly. kind of portable you're yeah. like you could be turtles with your with your your house on your back yeah, or, on back. or yep. your puppet yeah. under for your sure. arm it's it's wonderful exactly. and i think for children again to just say during this holiday time for little children to have some, and you've been written up already in all those new york publications for people looking for something good to do with their kids it's so wonderful to have something that's so kid-centric and being in this smaller space is intimate and and absorbing, yeah. not threatening. I mean, I, the kids are probably probably want to get up on the stage with you. My guess is you probably have to <laughs> say, no, not right now. Later, you can come visit the mm-hmm. puppet. It's it's a, a wonderful a wonderful effort that you've made. Is your real dog's name Rue, R-U-E, as in the ro- word for road? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, it was. She um, she went through. I, she's she's my first. That's mine. Even though I grew up with many dogs, we always had no fewer than like two or three dogs at any time. She's the first one that I rescued for me. That was my dog, and it took a while to find her name because I I didn't want to make the wrong choice. Um, and then one day I was just it, it was between it, the name works in a few different ways, but part of it is what you just said, where it's for street because that's where she was found originally. Yes, yes. So. Nice. It's, it's part of that's part of it. Yeah. And that's, she's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, Stacey Weingarten, you have pulled together something totally incredible. We have run out of time, and I know you have to rush back mm-hmm. to the theater and probably fluff somebody's mm-hmm. fur. There's probably a lot of fur, fluff, <laughs> fur fluffing that has to go on. But I, I must say, it's, it's a wonderful. A wonderful creation, and I hope that anybody with a kid, as we say, of any age, but particularly little kids, will get to see Rescue Rue, a musical fairy tale at DR2 in downtown New York, or maybe it's not even called downtown anymore, I don't know, all these (laughs) neighborhoods. Congratulations on your success. I, I hope you get to go all over the world and spread this wonderful rescue dog joy. Thanks, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me. This show is supported by Earth Animal, holistic pet wellness products, privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein. This show is also sponsored by the two women who privately own Evermore Pet Food, where they cook dog food and ship it frozen in pouches directly to your home. It is so wonderful to meet Kristen McKenna. She's the author of Snowball's Christmas and now her new book, The 12 Days of Snowball. The cutest little white cat, but not so cute, kind of a brat. I dare say a bitch, but that seems really rude. Kristen, you have created such a great character in this cat who has agendas. This cat is a cat with agendas. Attack cat. I'd never met an attack cat in a novel before. Who did you base her on? <laughs> uh, well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And um, So Snowball is kind of a... 
an amalgamation of, of folks, or I guess, I don't know if it would be folks in my life. It starts with my, um, I grew up with a cat, so it's a little bit of her, and her name was Kitty, which I know is so creative. Um, <laughs> just and like, then just we, like Snowball is so creative for an all-white cat. Yes, these exactly, are children's yeah. names that actually are the best names for animals in the end of the day. Exactly, exactly. And um, so her and then I have two dogs now that are little chihuahua mixes and who are just all sorts of personality. And then I throw in my daughter who is now oh. a preteen, but I threw in like her personality when she was a you know a toddler, her personality now that she's a teen and Snowball's getting a little older. <laughs> so, Oh, so you're yeah, saying that a lot it. of this has to do with the challenges of motherhood. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder she's such a real character, this cat. She's very cat-like. I mean, there's nothing unfeline about her, but she's definitely got a mouth on her. I mean, not not vulgarities, but just attitude. Is that is that? My would, daughter is definitely a lot of attitude, and just like, and but and kind of funny attitude. It's the yes, kind of attitude yes. that you just have to laugh at. Yeah, and, and I get that. And, with the, you know, with the animals and the dogs, especially, we're constantly putting voices in their heads. Like, what is this dog thinking right now? And so it's, you know, okay, I think this dog is thinking that I'm, you know, nuts or whatever. Right, right. So are you <laughs> yeah. that kind of family that, that speaks the dog's language for them? Oh, and, of course. Yeah. We oh have my to God. translate dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so great. So when you and your husband and or a daughter probably not with outsiders or around the, 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 the chi-chi mixes and cats you speak for them in the way that you imagine that individual speaking? Oh, absolutely. We've got to put the words in their mouths and we know exactly what they're thinking in that moment. And yeah. Oh, oh um, that's and so I, great. You know, I find the more people I tell that to, the more anybody who's pet person is like, oh yeah, I'm constantly putting words in my pet's mouth. Right. And I'm and like, yeah. And that's well, why yeah. I ask because I think it's important that we all validate that each other are fine because we're all in the yeah. crazy house. It's like we're in the nut house, <laughs> right? So exactly. everyone in the nut house can say, I don't know, seems fine to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. You, you dedicate the book to John, who I hope is your husband. It would be so embarrassing if he weren't. And it says, Oh, actually, it's my editor. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. That is so funny. So I thought, well, it must be her husband. And I wanted to understand that dedication because it says, thank you for giving me a chance with Snowball and loving this kitten as much as I do. So I thought, oh, it's the husband who's maybe supportive while she's writing it. Or maybe there's a real <laughs> Snowball cat in her life and and maybe he was allergic to cats but gave you a chance. I made up a whole story about your dedication. You're, oh, funny. Yeah. To your <laughs> you do what I do when I sit in coffee shops. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you have a great way with words. You really are a wordsmith. And this book is light and delightful. And in a moment, you can sort of give the overview about what it's about. And I expected it to be light and fun and Christmassy and Christmas decorations and a cat who wants to keep two humans from falling in love with each other or, or getting in the sack even together. And and the way, and yet I found it have great more substance to it because you're a really great describer of things, just without oh, trying to be, you know, hoity-toity or literary. You just have a great time, a great time, I think, with words. That's what comes across to me. Is that your experience of yourself as a writer? Uh, you know, it is. And what's funny, so one of the things I'm known for is um, I'm good at world building, they call it. Oh. And so you can really picture the world or, you know, smell the smells, taste the tastes, that kind of thing, and really picture where you are. And I, I love doing that in every, I write multiple genres under several pen names. And I, Oh, wait I a minute. You're one of that. those? Oh, I am. Oh, yeah. Anything with a happily ever after is my jam. <laughs> no way. So what are the other, what are, you don't have to tell us your other names, but what are the other genres? I thought, well, this is great. She's got two of these and probably another one coming. So what are the other genres? Oh, I write, um, they're all in romance. So each pen name is for kind of a different 
take on the romance world. So I write um, kind of paranormal romance under Abigail Owen and then steamier contemporary romance um, under Katie Scott so that readers know exactly what they're getting, basically. Wow. I've always been so fascinated with the the romance world because you guys that write for those readers are the only ones who are guaranteed that those people will always read books. Other writers in the outside world think, oh, are books dead? Is anyone reading books? Is it, you know, the poor people trying oh, to yeah. write books? But the romance field is like burgeoning and has been forever. It's never had a slump. It really carries the industry. I want to say it's something like 50% of all book sales are romance is book sales. right? And then mm-hmm, people that want to like be that. snobs, you know, and read some book that they have a hard time even understanding what the point of it is, much less the words in it. I mean, not not to put too fine a point on it, but there's that literary world with those awards, which is a very precious kind of other world. And there's the word of people that want to read to escape. They want to read to go to another place and enjoy a story. And as you said, happy endings. Don't you think that that's, I mean, certainly that's this book. Well, world building, is that a phrase that you learned because you took a writing course or is is that a phrase that's used in the romance world? I've never heard it, but it's really a good one. Um, so it's, I, I believe it's common among all writers, and um, certainly even more so, I would say, under paranormal romance or fantasy romance, because oh. you really are building a whole world. Um, but it's, um, it, and it's something I didn't know what it was when I first started. You know, my very first couple of books out there, I self-published and, um, you know, people would read them and I would have other authors come back and be like, you know, I, you, you need to work on the world building. And I'd be like, you know, what is that? And they'd be like, well, it's in a castle, but I can't, you know, it just says they're in a castle and I can't picture it. And I'd be like, I have no idea. And then I started adding touches and it became kind of a, a passion to be like, let's show the world, but in a way where it's not like four pages of right. describe this you know, Victorian house and the Christmas trees. <laughs> right, which is this which is this book um, that's in a Victorian B&B, Weber House, and, yep. and there's construction going on, and that's what drives the, the burgeoning romance is the construction manager and the new inn manager. But it, it, it is, it, isn't that so interesting? You self-published, here you are now extremely successful, you self-published and other writers took the time to critique you, I guess, in a constructive way, not rude or mean, but they took oh, the no, time. Yeah, trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm, wow. Absolutely. The writing world is a, it's such a supportive group I have found. Some of my best friends are people I've never met in person, have only met online because we connected through being writers. And, and you know, it's kind of a... I think for me at least, and most of the people I've met, it's kind of a, a rising tide lifts all ships theory no where it's kidding. like, let's, you know, this, this person's successful, then that makes other people who want to write that successful. And so it's, yeah, it's a good, that is good really world to lovely. I will say that, that, that is completely contrary to the other kind of literary world that I guess I grew up around or in or have been in is is not at all like that. But it's sort of one of the reasons, not sort of, it is the reason that I'm so welcoming of and grateful to all the writers who write about dogs and cats so that I can have them on my shows and help promote both their books to people who would love to read them, but they just don't maybe know they exist otherwise. Mm -hmm. And also to give encouragement to other people hoping to write or trying to write or feeling discouraged about writing, to hear the personal stories of authors, how they work, how they started, what the process is, how they keep it up, you know, keep the moxie going. I think it's really wonderful that you have that world. I'm going to guess it has to be the romance novel world. It is not the straight I don't mean straight versus gay, the 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 whatever the other the more yeah the, whatever the other romance yeah the non romance <laughs> the, the other fifty percent. Yeah. I think there's a lot of jealousy and envy and uh, discouragement. Oh, we still get that, and um, you know it's human. I think and um, 
And because there's a limited number of books being published in any given publisher and that kind of thing, there's always, I feel like, maybe a sense of competition. Um, but if I find, for the most part, that the the people that I gravitate towards are the ones that are like, let's help each other. Like, this is a, is it can so be a cool. really rough and very lonely industry. So let's, you know, form a community of people. That is so cool. So you have paranormal and then you have steamy romance. And then you have mm-hmm. these charming, adorable, I mean, I mean, the world you build here is like, oh, that's so cute. I remember this world growing up. Is this how the world still is? Of course, there's there's some nasty people and nasty things that happen, but not that nasty. But yeah. there's a kind of a sweetness to it, and a and a simplicity, and a the idea of of people kind of yearning for each other and having bad memories of other relationships. So not so quick to trust the next guy that wants to give you a kiss, but not in a romancy kind of way. In this book, it's more, well, is the cat going to let it happen? For one thing, she doesn't <laughs> yeah. like this guy. Um, but also just kind of, it's very interesting you say happy, happy, happy endings. I guess we need more happy endings, don't we? I absolutely think we need more happy endings. It's it's why I read and write romances, because I want the guarantee that at the end of it, there's a happiness to it. And I think it's something that we don't find as much as we should, maybe. Like the world to me is already full of not happy endings. Let's, For sure. If we're going to escape, if I'm going to take this time to escape into a completely different world, I want it to be a happy world. And I've always been that way. Um, I do. My mom was an English teacher. So, of course, I grew up reading, you know, all the classics and right. um for the most part, the ones that I liked were the ones where they may not have a happy ending necessarily, but the characters, at least there was one likable character. And the ones that I tended to not like were the ones where I'm like, I can't like any of these characters. They're yes, all terrible yes. people. And, and so, and, good, and, think, and, and even if good things happen to them, you don't even feel happy for them. I in don't the want end. To, yeah. yeah. And so there's that too. And then with these books, these are my um, kind of my brain break and my own personal escape to write them, especially um, both one and two, for the most part, I was working on in the middle of COVID. And so it was my like, the world is exploding. Let's go like enjoy sweet and Christmas and kittens. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? It's exactly that. Let's jump in and let you read a little section so we get Sophie's, um, not Sophie's voice, Sophie is the owner, but the kitten's voice because Snowball has a lot to say. And it's charming how it's interspersed. Set the scene. I forgot to grab the book. Okay, it's page, what what do we do? 22. 22, yes. Yeah. So I can set the scene easily enough. It's, It's really... It speaks for itself. It's really I just want Sophie's voice to be heard and 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 appreciated, so that when people get it, they get it, so they can hear a cat thinking and talking, as you hope a, a feisty little cat would think and talk. Yep, um, and I love so I put the her point of view, and um, usually at the end, but sometimes in the middle or beginning of chapters, where you get what's happening with the kitten, among all of the what's happening with the romance. We don't so. have to explain who all the characters are that she mentions because Daniel's the guy and Sophie's the gal, but it's really yes. the cat that we want to hear from. Yep. Um, So here we go. Um, What were Emily and Lucas and even Miss Tilly thinking? Putting that man in charge with sweet Sophie? She gave me a lovely snuggle all the way back to the house and told Mrs. Bailey that she's a cat person, much better than Daniel. I glared at his stupid bearded face. The only reason I haven't run him out of this room is because Emily is so upset. Kitties know when their humans are upset. We can sense these things. It's why we cuddle up when humans cry or when they're lonely or when they need to feel better. Sometimes we only do that for the special humans. And all three of these people are my special humans. But Daniel, it's a very good thing I was around to show Emily how big of a mistake she'd be making choosing Daniel over Lucas. In the end, it worked out. But I'll never forgive Daniel for almost messing that up. Still... If he can be helpful in this time of trouble, which I have my doubts about, then so can I. So I let him stay in the room while they discuss the boring parts of how Emily, Lucas, and Miss Tilly will be leaving Sophie and Daniel in charge of the inn. At least Sophie will be around. She has a few silly notions about my not being let outside, but she is a terrific cat snuggler. Plus, I overheard Emily saying to Lucas that she came highly recommended, whatever that means. It sounds good. Oh, Emily cries, what about Snowball? What? I blink a few times. Surely I didn't hear that right. Only I did. I give a little a sound. 
They forgot about me. They never forget about me. I am the most important part of this family. I tie us all together with love. Emily smooths a soothing hand over my fur, and I lean into her touch, but then bat at her hand so she knows that I don't consider a quick pat enough of an apology. Don't look at me, Daniel says, holding up his hands, like I'm a disease or something he doesn't want to touch. I give him a solid, unbleaking stare, long enough that he goes stiff, then lift my leg and give myself a bath. I can watch Snowball, Sophie offers. Oh, that's much better. I lightly drop to the floor to go wind around her feet and rub against her ankles, and Emily beams, which makes my sacrifice of letting them go off without me worth it. Good luck, Daniel mutters. I give a little growl, and he snaps his mouth shut. He doesn't leave, though. I will give him this much. He's loyal to his friends. It's great. She's a real character. And yeah, it does sort of sound like a chihuahua mixed with your daughter mixed with an actual cat. Now I understand how you built that world. Well, Kristen, you really are a great world builder. And this is a wonderful world, the 12 days of snowball to fall into. It's really Christmassy. And you live in Texas, where I guess you don't get too much snow. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you really do get snow in Texas. It's hard to say. But for those who don't have the pleasure of being in a snowy place or even a place where the whole town or inn gets decorated. It really is a great dip into what Christmas is supposed to feel like. And I think that's a great achievement on your part. So thank you for writing this. Keep on writing about Snowball while doing romances, I guess we could say on the side, which is rather funny because I'm sure you have all those balls up in the air at once. A job well done. And I look forward to reading the next one. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed writing them, and I've enjoyed being on your show. This show is brought to you in part by Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, where they are still making natural pet food. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas, and the national nonprofit Canines for Warriors. Well, this is great fun. I have a new cat friend on the other side of the world in New Zealand, a marvelous young Kiwi named Molly Kelsey, who has the cat connection, and she helps people with their kitty cats. Molly, this is so great that you've carved out this life for yourself as a young woman. You're a cat counselor. How did you come to this wonderful profession? Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey, and I want to thank the cats I've met along the way who have made it possible. I um, started off actually vet nursing when I was fresh out of high school, and after a few years, I moved into a more administration role, and I I just wasn't getting the connection and impact that I wanted, and through my interactions with cats over the years, I did notice an alarming trend of cats whose behavioral needs were just not being met. And as a consequence, they were having behavior problems, health problems, and owners just weren't equipped to deal with them. So I decided to go back to university. Um, and wow. two, two years later, yeah, I finished. And here we are now. Well, when you went to university, are there courses in university on feline behavior or animal behavior in general? Yes, there are. Uh, In New Zealand, there's nothing for cats. We do have some universities that offer canine training. But for cats, I studied by a distance with a UK-based provider, um, which a lot of people are doing now with COVID anyway. So it worked out quite well. Isn't that something? So you decided to do it in a very organized way, not to just sort of hang up a sign and say, do you have a cat problem? Let me help. You decided to really educate yourself so that you would feel confident and people would have confidence in your advice. Definitely. Because the industry has very little regulation. That's right. There are a lot of people who are doing it who don't necessarily have the academic background. And because we're dealing with live animals who are interacting with people, it's not just a welfare issue if something goes wrong. It's also a safety issue. And I want to put the best foot forward and for people to actually get the right advice for their cats so everyone's happier in the long run. It's, it's, I'm very impressed because, yes, it's an unregulated industry in the United States too. And people just sort of put words that have the word cat or feline in it consultant or, you know, behaviorist. And it, it's just based on made up words because there is no regulation of the industry. So to set out to do it properly from the beginning, 
is impressive because I'm sure you had a gift without that extra training in how to read cats' behavior and the kind of advice, which some of it's just meat and potatoes, isn't it, with people? They just don't know simple things about cat body language or litter box issues and how people are contributing to problems without even knowing it. And yet you decided to go the full distance and really get that degree, if it's called a degree in New Zealand. Did you find veterinarians or did you go back to the vet practice where you'd been to recommend you? How did you build your practice? How did you get clients? Yeah, so I'm still lucky enough to be working part-time at my old vet clinic just to get my little fix of um, medical field. Nice. And I have met some clients through there and I've had vet friends recommend me through other clinics as well who I've met over the years. But most of my uh, client introductions have actually been through social media, uh, through my Instagram account and also working um, on rescue projects with local organizations. So I offer my services at a reduced or no cost fee to certain rescues that are in my area and they just pass on my details to new adoptees who might nice. be struggling with a cat and it's kind of just rolled on from there. Isn't that wonderful? You did it for all the right reasons and in doing it that way, it built a foundation for people who could afford your help to actually hire you and pay you for help that is invaluable because I think there just isn't enough common knowledge about how to make a happy safe, healthy home for a cat. But people really want to live with cats. But there's these things, just basics about, you know, vertical space. Is that one of the issues that you help people with, how to make their house more cat-centric, cat-friendly, and enriching, safe for them, that they feel safe, I should say? Yeah, most definitely. A lot of people grab the uh, scratch tower and they stick their litter box in the corner of the laundry with the washing machine going right. and they go, yep, I'm, I'm all done. set. <laughs> and in reality, we're not meeting their needs with those at all because we're not providing hiding spaces. We're not providing multiple vertical perches. We've got the bathroom for the cat in a noisy room with the tray in a corner, which to a cat is not very safe. Right. Um, they don't like to feel cornered when they're doing their business. So there's definitely a big gap in the knowledge that, say, people have about dogs when they get a dog versus a cat. I think for the most part because cats, they will often suffer in silence mm-hmm. um, for quite a while. And it's only when they start act or acting out, is what people call it, that people go, oh, something might be wrong, but the cat's been telling them for months. Yes. But it's just a lack of education. When you when you started the Instagram account, was it just a young woman having fun or did you always intend it to be an avenue for people to learn that there was more they needed to know and you could provide some of it? bit of both. Um, it made me spend a bit less time just looking up random cats all the time to follow. <laughs> my, um, my partner just rolls his eyes whenever I'm like, did you see this cat? And he's like, no, I, I have a life, Molly. And so it provided me with a bit of a more um, strategic use of the app. And it's been nice to connect with other cat lovers and other people that work with cats on a professional level, especially because with New Zealand being you know so removed from the rest of the world, social media lets us connect no matter the distance. It's it's a wonderful bridge for advice, for information, for support. We don't think of that. You know, we live, we that might live in some part of the world that is more populated and not quite so distant, feel as if that, you know, you could reach out and touch a cat person. But probably in New Zealand, which is one of the beauties of it, you can't really reach out and touch much of anything, which is one of the beauties of it, that it's not crowded, that it's not overpopulated. I guess COVID has made it even more insular because you were locked down, but then you weren't necessarily locked down, but the rest of the world was shut out. Did that change what you were doing with cats? Definitely. And when it comes to working with rescues, I am doing purely online consultations 
Um, at the moment, the city I'm in, Auckland, is in lockdown still. So no I don't see kidding. that changing for a while. Yeah, it's been about three months now. Wow. Yeah. And when it comes to visiting clients in their homes, I can't do that at the moment. So I'm also doing video conferencing with owners, which has been a bit of a learning curve for some of my clients because they're not used to doing it and right. they can feel quite um, disconnected because you're not there in the home. Um but we've made it work. We've made some adjustments to how we operate. And, yeah, it's just it's just been adapting like everyone's been adapting. And it's, you know, I've learned a lot over the course of the last few months. How hard is it for someone who's youthful and, you know, full of life and energy and probably would love to have a more whatever we mean by normal social life? Mm. What's it like to be sort of shut down? shuttered. Is your lockdown so strict that you can only go out to a grocery store? So you can pick up contactless items from a store, say, I I don't know if you guys have Kmart, but that's like a a low cost store that sells a bunch of different items. Right. We have that. You can do click and collect and grocery stores, you can go into grocery stores and purchase, but things like uh, movie theaters or um, well, gosh, gyms and, what I used and to do. gyms and beauty salons. How do you keep your hair pink? Me also. Mm, your yeah. hair is all pink. My hair is only a little bit of pink in the front, but I would be out out on a. Well, how will I? How will how would how do you keep it pink all on your own? Oh, I've got a lot of regrowth at the moment. <laughs> um, it, it honestly makes me feel ill just looking at it. I t- so the hair salons they're slowly opening up. I think it's in December. Uh, with very stringent rules in place with masks and everything. And places like the gyms are still closed. Um, so I'll be getting my hair done at some point. But the very it's first like thing. Priority what right about now. restaurants? No restaurants, I'm sure. Uh, no, they have contactless pickup, so takeaway, but there's no in dining. Um, so it's it's still quite different. Very strict. Well, we we go. The rest of the world goes through moments of being strict and moments of being wanton, and doesn't mm. seem to be working all that well. But everyone's trying to figure it out as they go along. Are the rescues still able to adopt out kitties? Yes, some of them are doing contactless adoptions. I think it's just up to the board who run the rescue as to what their policy is. Some are still doing it. The few that I know and are involved with are still doing contactless. Um, And it's actually worked out quite well because it frees up a lot of the administration time for the teens because the people who are adopting just interact and liaison with the foster family. Oh, right. Yeah, so because with New Zealand, the majority of our rescues operate with a foster network, which is really good with lockdown because people are home more, so – they're available to look after, you know, litters of kittens and things like that. Um, so rescue and adoption are still going ahead, but it's very hard with kitten season here because vets are obviously operating at a reduced capacity with all the protocols in place to protect the staff. They're not able to churn through the numbers that they usually can. Especially for spay neuter, right? Yeah, with desexing, it's not as easy as it used to be. What is the cat situation in New Zealand? Are they a, a very popular pet? Do Does every other household have a cat? Are there a lot of feral cats, community cats mm. that are looked after by a TNR group? Or are cats viewed as a, a terrible jeopardy to, to bird life and, and looked at negatively? For example, in America and Hawaii, there's a, a huge problem with enormous colonies of feral cats. The TNR people want to TNR them, but the wildlife people are very worried about the birds. How is that in New Zealand, that whole attitude to cats? It's a similar situation. Um, In New Zealand, cats are our most popular pet by far. Um, The last time I checked the numbers, registered cats, they estimate about 1.2 million in the country. And this is a country with just over 5 million people at the top of my head. So if you think about that, that's a lot, that's of, a lot cats. of cats. And, and those, those are just the registered ones, ones right? Those Not are the just ones the that own one. Right. Yeah. Versus 800,000 dogs. So there are a lot, a lot more cats. And with New Zealand, the majority of cats are allowed inside, outside access. They're not contained in catios or indoor or cat proof fencing. 
So there is a lot of predation done by owned cats, not even touching on the feral or colony cats that are being looked after by TNR groups. So there is a big shift of some people being against cat ownership or wanting to have very stringent population control of unowned cats versus I call them cat people, but just people who have cats and, you know, think butter wouldn't melt. Um, So it is a bit of a problem here because we have so many native species that evolved without predators like cats. We've got kiwis and other birds like that that just stand no chance um, against wild cats. So it's a a very tenuous situation here at the moment. Um, We've got people that are trapping cats. And there's also people trying to push legislation against TNR um, for population control. So it's a very tricky situation. That's what I thought. And I knew there was, I think it was New Zealand, but maybe it was Australia, where there was very recently in modern times, within a year or two, that there was a bounty being given for people Mm -hmm. who scalped cats. Was that New Zealand? I know Australia did a mass extermination. Terrible. Um, that was it was huge, and it, it didn't even touch the surface. It um, the feral cat problem in Australia makes New Zealand's look a lot less severe, um, but they've got a whole lot more land. And yeah, it's just the problem is this: they cause a lot of damage, but they're just doing biologically what they're required to survive. It's not their fault, but. Yeah, it causes so much damage. So there's so there's definitely a controversy. And it's interesting because the idea that cats should be indoor-outdoor is the British idea. The Royal mm. Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, if you want to adopt a cat in England, even if you live in the heart of London. I just know this through a dear friend who was a cat person. She was actually the editor of, of my book, The Cat Bible, before she moved to England and, and became British eventually. <laughs> and you had to certify that your cat would be allowed out a certain number of hours a day in the in the heart of London. It was mm. like considered, uh, you know, inhumane, not good animal husbandry kind of thing to let the cat, to make the cat or keep the cat only indoors. So there are so many different points of view about it, but it's it must be hard to be a cat advocate in a country where there's so much anti-cat sentiment. It must be complicated. And it's and it's not a straightforward, there's only one right answer. We know that mass extermination of dogs or cats, whether it's done in China or in Australia, does not work for a variety of reasons. It's simply not an effective solution, leaving aside whether it's humane or not. So I'm glad that you're there. We're running low on our time, Molly Kelsey, but you as the cat counselor are doing wonderful work in New Zealand. I think you're a real testament to what someone can do when they just set out to do something well. And it's I think it's a great life's work and I and I hope you continue to do it and continue to advocate for cat people and cat cats because I think it's it's great and the more knowledge that's out there and the more of a support system and a community you make, the better the world will be. Well, the better off the world will be. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Is there any chance you're going to come to the U.S.? And, oh, and never mind. That's a stupid question. Of course you're not <laughs> coming here. You can't even leave your apartment. Never mind. That was a dumb question. If you ever come to America, we, we'd love to have you here. You're, you're absolutely charming, and the work you're doing is great. So thank you so much. Sounds great. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the guests as much as I did. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.